When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we talk with actors, artists, and creators about their work, career, and current obsession. I'm your host, Patrick Holland, and today my guest is Giovanni Ribisi, who has been in numerous films like Avatar, Lost in Translation, Saving Private Ryan, and Gone in 60 Seconds. He's been in shows like Sneaky Pete, Friends, My Name is Earl, and On the Verge. His latest project is playing the real-life mob boss Joe Colombo in the Paramount Plus series The Offer. The show takes place in the 70s and details the extreme efforts producer Al Ruddy went through to get the film The Godfather made. Here's an excerpt from the trailer featuring Giovanni as Columbo. You want to make a movie that's going to make my people look like animals, and that ain't going to happen. I respect what you're saying, and I think I have a solution to our problem. Let's just jump into the offer. If you could just walk me through, uh, I've only seen the trailer. So what's it about and who do you play? Um, so yeah, so the offer is uh, the story about the making of The Godfather um, from the perspective of its producer, Al Ruddy. Um, and I play the character, uh, Joe Colombo, who uh, was a one of the five bosses in, in the mafia. And he was the boss of the Colombo family. Uh, and uh, who was adamantly against the film being made. And, and obviously like The Godfather has like such a prestige in our culture and society. People refer to it. I think it's one of the greatest films ever made. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm wondering why uh, do you think it's important to tell a story of how it went from being a book into the film? Because I think it's uh, uh, a compelling story and, a, and there's so many different uh, parts of it coming from Al Ruddy, who was a producer on the offer, uh, as well as the government, uh, uh, that um, are, are, are people that, that people don't know about. For instance, Joe Colombo, you know, as I was saying, he was adamantly against the film being made because he was all about trying to more or less give uh, the perception that, the, that there was no mafia there was no La Cosa Nostra. He was, in a way, possibly trying to be legitimate or go legitimate with that. Um, uh, and he was doing it in a big way with the Italian-American Civil Rights League. And then he, here comes The Godfather and Paramount making this movie. So Al Ruddy was apparently getting death threats at the beginning of it. And they had to confront each other. And, and he, he essentially turned Joe Colombo around. And, and, and not only that, uh, uh, got his support for the film, and and they became uh, they became friends until he was until he was shot. Obviously, Joe Colombo's like there. He is a real person who was really involved in the mob. How, how do you approach playing someone like him? I, I think the, the first thought I had was was well, two things. 
this is the furthest thing from me. And I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that if I'm having a hard time seeing myself in this role, I'm sure others are, except for Dexter Fletcher, <laughs> who had faith um, and, and that. But then if I am going to do it, how do you avoid all of the cliches? Because there's so many different interpretations. I mean, it's the, the, the gangster film is its own genre, um, let alone the, the approaching or being involved or discussing the making of sort of that genre's pinnacle in The Godfather and The Godfather 2. It was really just about trying to understand who this person was from as, as, as a human being. And, and I guess, you know, the, the, that, that, that same approach was sort of the foundation of why Mario Puzo wrote uh, the novel and why uh, what, what The Godfather was about. The Godfather was this classical interpretation of, of, of family um, in the mob universe during that time. And, and that had really kind of not been touched on up to that point in the gangster genre. And it's talking about like, maybe people wouldn't see you immediately in this role in the trailer. I obviously, the makeup, the come over, it just looks complete. And it's not like a clown. It's very, you look very menacing and scary. What was it like going through that like physical transformation for the character as well? Yeah, it was, it was intense. I guess the biggest thing that was, uh, or the thing that I felt that was the biggest challenge for me was understanding or having a sense or confidence in the voice um, and, and not making it uh, feel contrived. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so that was, you know, um, I think that, you know, when you see somebody doing that, as opposed to it just being sort of organic and natural. So yeah, it would take me days and days to uh, warm up to feeling, you know, I stay, have to stay in, in it until I just wasn't thinking about it anymore. Going back to the actual film, The Godfather, um, obviously this, the, we just hit the 50th anniversary of that film. Mm -hmm. um, do you remember like the first time you saw it or do you remember like when you saw it, uh, the, what the impact was it had on you? Um, first thing coming from an actress perspective, I think, I think I was a teenager. I mean, I, I remember it had been on television on cable or the Z channel or something like that. At a certain <laughs> point. And my, you know, being young and maybe too young to remember or to, to, to understand really what was going on. But then going back to it when I was a teenager, um, the most striking element, of course, was was Marlon Brando, and, and that's where I, I was on a kick, and I was watching, you know, Streetcar, and then going to Last Tango in Paris, and uh, um, The Godfather, Apocalypse Now, <laughs> Superman, and and just how I mean, I just I, still to me, it, it's one of the great performances. It seems to like any one of those films, barring some of them, maybe there's acting before that movie and then there's acting after that, you know, especially with Streetcar. And then when we think of um, uh, all the stories, just the actual behind the scenes of making the film, um, obviously this is a new point of view because it's actually getting to the part of filming the actual film, but uh, was there things you learned that you, you didn't know about or things that were surprising, um, whether it's about the book or the film or um, like even Joe Colombo's involvement in it that surprised you? Yeah, Joe Colombo's involvement and, and, uh, and the relationship that he had with Al Ruddy was 
uh, very surprising. And, and at a certain point it became, it, it's really kind of like what endeared me to the character and sort of uh, hooked me in because you have a guy who really is personified as this monster following all the stereotypes. And then, um, and then digging in, I read a book, a, a biography on him that was written by his son and another author named Don Caprio. Um, it, 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 the, the more work you start, I started, the more uh, he became a, uh, a person to me, you know? And, and that was like the most important thing and to understand what kind of person. And he, he was really someone who had actually, ironically, a, a, um, a sh very strong moral uh, fiber. You know, he was really um, uh, uh, fighting for the Italian-Americans. And, and, and he was also a man of his word. He wasn't, he wasn't somebody who was, who, would, who was interested in double-crossing um, others and i think that's that's the point really sort of like where uh al ruddy and joe colombo connected that you know i mean they, they were both sort of like cut from the same cloth they just took different paths in their lives and you said um that al was a producer on this series as well what's it like um seeing him see this thing that he lived through become a basically tv drama i don't know i mean it must be surreal it must be just it, sort of insane, especially if you are hitting certain nerves or being accurate. <laughs> Somebody is cares enough to depict this. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, I mean, the other fun thing is uh, seeing the trailer, we obviously see people like portraying like Francis Ford Coppola. There's people portraying like Al Pacino, Marlon Brando. Yeah. Um, if you ever had a film made about your life and work, maybe even like uh, as an adult, who do you think you'd want to have play you in the film? Oh, my gosh. I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> let me ask you the question. What, who would you want to play you? Oh, easy. Uh, Giovanni Ribisi. Oh, wow. yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and we're, we're about the same age, I think, yeah, so right. I'm kidding. Um, yeah, uh, I have no idea. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, so the name of this podcast, Giovanni, is I'm So Obsessed. What are you currently obsessed with? I am so obsessed uh right now well what i'm focusing on is billy bitzer uh and uh the other subject being color johan eaton's uh the art of color which is uh, he's a uh, yeah a painter that uh had a whole philosophy and science on color i'd say and what about uh what about that draws you or or, or makes you obsessed about I just love cinematography and, and I'm just Billy Bitzer was D.W. Griffith's cinematographer and uh, he was uh, one of the founding members of the biograph and uh, just an incredible troubadour who was arguably inventing the close-up and the first dolly move into an actor um, uh, just sort of extraordinary um, you know with 
cameras that weighed 500 pounds. Uh, I mean, just incredible. And bootstrapping uh, an industry, which I think we take for granted now, you know, right now we can pull out our phones and watch something. Uh, what Billy Bitzer and those guys did was just extraordinary, just for the love and the adventure. Yeah, I got to wonder, like, if uh, he had access to just like a, like an Ari Alexa or just even like a green screen, yeah. what he'd be able to do. I don't know. Um, I, I don't know if it would have been the same. And, you know, maybe it would have been taken for granted like so many other people do. But the other thing is, is like, you know, I think within a um, 1898 to 1907, he had already made 300 films. I just like, <laughs> you know, they're sh sh short films, but later on in I think 19... 16 was it it was intolerance and and uh beyond that so yeah i know you've worked a lot as an actor but you've also done some work as a director so does that kind of does like reading up on his work or seeing his films or his approach um or something like the art of color does that affect you visually or does that sure. is, is that something separate for you no it's all tied into that definitely um i think yeah um, and it's just also, I just love, it's just like a guilty pleasure at this point. It's just something that I just am fascinated with, um, uh, you know, uh, to, to look at these craftsmen who had no conveniences. They were literally making the tools uh, to do their craft that are the founding tools for industry. It's just su such an intriguing thing to me. You've had such a, a career in um, both TV and film. And obviously The Godfather is not the only film that has probably a wild story happening behind the scenes or getting made. I'm curious, um, any of the things you've worked on, was there a time where you found the stuff happening off screen was more insane or even more interesting that was going on on screen? Any films that I've worked on that have been, um, I mean, the, the, the making of Avatar is, um, pretty extraordinary uh, and what Jim had to do and uh, uh, develop and create really just a, an entire industry and infrastructure for to be a vessel for this thing, which created so many, um, uh, which was a pathway for so many other films. Um, and so that, that, that's really extraordinary. And I think that's, that's sort of the nature of him um and so yeah i would maybe i mean that would be an interesting at least a documentary well i'm sure and obviously with the sequels coming out uh, in the next couple of years and stuff uh but nine nine years 13 years after the first mm -hmm. one come out, i would just imagine there's got to be just a, a lot of excitement to see what's actually on the screen but how it got made as well because so much has jumped in technology and cgi and special effects Oh yeah, in the last five years, let alone ten. So, um, so we finished uh, two and three, and I just, I, I mean, it really for me even surpasses the first. It's just, I, and I don't even, I don't know how he did it, but it, it's just, um, it's just, I haven't seen anything, but I, I just, you know, in reading the stories and you know, seeing w how they approach a lot of it, you know, it's it's known that a lot of it, um takes place underwater and the the training that the actors went through uh, just it's just extraordinary i'm very excited about these movies you've had uh, a career spanning nearly three decades 
just dozens and dozens of amazing films and TV shows and artists you've worked with. And I'm just curious, what keeps you going for that long working in this industry? Movies like The Godfather. No, I mean that. I mean, I, that was an easy answer, I guess, but it's true. Um, the French New Wave or Italian Neorealism or Billy Bitzer or um, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. It's just such an incredible thing, you know. Um, there's this great uh, Mike Bauman and uh, some of the other cameramen have a two and a half hour video where they're talking about the making of Phantom Thread. Uh, I, I just, I, I think I've watched it like three times now. It's just so fascinating to me. And, and is it like the, the technical aspect is fascinating, the choices they make or how they go about making those choices? I think that's just such an such a beautiful movie uh, visually. I talked to a lot of directors making their first or second movie and um, and you know a lot of them tell me about their films and uh, I say, oh wow, so I, um, I want to that sounds incredible. I want to see the storyboards. And they say, well, I don't need to do the storyboards. I don't like to do that. And, I, and my answer or my, the thought that I usually have is, oh, right. So Alfred Hitchcock and Steven Spielberg, they need to do storyboards, <laughs> but you don't need to do storyboards. Um, and it, it just fascinates me. You know, I guess they had done months and months, uh, years maybe of testing to get wallpaper and the style of lighting uh, for that movie together. And, you know, um, they understand what it is to reach for something that goes beyond what we normally see here, what is normally just show up and let's pay the, you know, make the check out to X, Y, and Z and thanks, I take, go home. Um, and I just, I, you know, I think that, that that's one of the, the things about specifically the offer and the Godfather that made me so nostalgic is that um, this is a guy who is willing literally to put his life on the line for something that he loves. Um, and uh, uh, and um, it's a different era. Yeah, and I mean, uh, you mentioned so many things in that statement there, but like the Phantom Thread, going back to that for half a second, like the, the way the lighting is in that film, it's both like very powerful, but so delicate at the same time and oh my god and the limitations they had and the solutions they came up with and the techniques that they have in order to achieve a certain thing that is invisible and you're not aware of it but it just it becomes an elevated piece and so this eaton book this um uh the art of color uh, uh goes into that and, and and it's just fascinating to see the conscientious, you know, this color red in a De La Croix painting isn't just some arbitrary random, random choice. It's in a context and it's, um, and it's just incredible. Let me go back to the offer for a second. So uh, the other thing I'm struck by when I see the trailer is, I, I mean, I, I want, I don't want to trivialize what that, what a seventies film look, but it looks of the time, like not only the costumes and makeup, but even the way the contrast is for the colors and the, yeah, the yeah, lighting. Yeah. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what it was like stepping into that world on set. So th that's another example where you have everybody is uh, in, in all departments are 
just uh, you know legends like sal totino um the cinematographer uh uh michael kaplan who is the the set uh, i mean the wardrobe uh designer who uh you know worked on blade runner he was the designer on blade Runner. um incredible um I know Sal, uh, uh, we spent some time together in Poland uh, together and he's just such a class act, real Italian and uh, just a master of what he does. Um, so that was cool. And, and there's also, you, you know, when you're, when you're approaching somebody like Gordon Willis who shot the original Godfather uh, and is considered the cinematographer, cinematographer, him and Vittorio Storaro. Um, he's, uh, you know, the tendency just want to do like the soft top light with the dark shadows and shoot the, you know, low light in the way that The Godfather was shot. And Sal really, uh, you know, had his own concept and his own approach and knew that this was a different story, an attempt at telling a story that was underneath all of that. Um, and it's just phenomenal. I mean, the, the, the imagery is just really incredible. I, I know you mentioned storyboards earlier. And I think one of my favorite aspects is when back in the day of DVDs, getting the extras for The Godfather and seeing Francis Ford Coppola's uh, quote unquote, like uh, script where he had just all yeah. these different colors and lines and uh, the drawings. And you see like the, like the scene with uh, uh, Pacino, like he has to leave the gun behind and like, like red flagging that and just little details like that, that as like a young like artist, I was just, oh, you can do that. You can, you can think like this. You can go that deep on this. It's oh just really God. exciting. Oh, I know. Yeah. And how important all that stuff is like the, the subtlety, the one frame making a difference in a cut. I mean, it really is actually a, you know, and the amount of work and, and get the amount of prep that goes into something that you know when you get there, it's probably all gonna get thrown out the window because an actor is not gonna get a specific <laughs> mark. It does a certain thing, but at least you have a certain sort of confidence and knowledge of what you're doing, yeah. Uh, I, I, love, I love how like both like idealistic you are, but also practical you are too. <laughs> I know, like a crotchety old man. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, Phantom Thread, we could spend like 27 shots uh, just practicing the shot, getting the shot look right. Uh, it's not going to match Daniel's thing. He's going to change it. You know, it's just like, <laughs> uh, it's, it's true. But I wonder too, um, uh, going back to kind of the idea of like, just the amount of work you've done, if you could go back in time to like your early days starting out, what piece of advice or what advice would you give yourself? To probably have, have more fun um, and, <laughs> and to lighten up. I think that's at least as someone who's a fan of your work, who doesn't know you personally, I think, that's there's a that we see that intensity and uh and that quality in almost all the roles you play so um oh, yeah oh, oh. <laughs> I, i'm curious if that would be and like yeah i guess maybe I, more. I just have no objectivity even even on something like friends you know <laughs> yeah right I know. <laughs> um i want to say two things one um uh Lost in Translation came out about 21 years ago which is crazy and when you think back to that film what comes to mind uh, I was in Japan and uh, working with Sophia and Scarlett and Bill Murray. Um, I don't know. It, it was such a relaxed place. You know, we were all living in the hotel that we were shooting in. Um, and so you go down to your room and they call you up. And it was something that just felt uh, less, uh, I guess, bureaucratic and uh, being more creative 
in that way. I don't know. It was just, it was great. I, and also, um, yeah, I mean, I just remember, I, I actually, I remember sitting around shooting the breeze more than I do actually working, which is kind of <laughs> unique for that movie. You know, that's one of the things that sets it off for me. So I want to wrap up. We do a thing called pick one. I give you a couple things to choose. You pick one of them. It doesn't mean the thing you choose is better than the other thing. And you're encouraged to talk things out. So let's play pick one. Okay. Um, all right. First one I have is directing or acting. Pick one. Directing. Film, TV, video games, or music videos. Pick one. Film. All right. This is where it gets a little tricky here. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I feel like I'm just there and I feel like they're self-explanatory. <laughs> I feel I feel like we've talked a little bit about that. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's fine. It's fine. Um, next one. Godfather's pizza or Giovanni's pizza? Giovanni's pizza. So I'm, I'm going to, yeah, I, I'm going to do that. I think you have to now. Um, oh, yeah. Pick one. Curtis Johnson in Highway to Heaven or Jeff in Suburbia? Jeff in Suburbia. <laughs> I won't even ask why. Uh, and the last one I have for you is pick one, friends, my name is Earl or Sneaky Pete. You know, I had such a long run with, uh, I mean, not love, but with the cast and Sneaky Pete and, and the, the, you know, the other uh, shows were, were, you know, I was just a guest coming on. And, and um, so that's that. But, you know, I just, uh, you know, I missed the guy, the, 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 the folks that, that I was working with, namely the cast and Brian and those guys, um, uh, so yeah. Yes, I think, well, I mean, I can't tell you the right answer, but I think that's the right answer. I mean, oh, you okay, did get yeah. an Emmy <laughs> nomination for My Name is Earl, but uh, Sneaky Pete is just an outstanding show. Oh yeah. Um, absolutely, man, I'm so excited to see this and I'm very excited to read those books, seriously. Jamie oh, cool, yeah, I think hands you might them, yeah. enjoy them. Yeah, 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 cool. All right, man, well, best wishes, thank you again. All right, see ya. I want to thank Giovanni for chatting with me, and I want to thank you for listening. You could stream The Offer on Paramount Plus starting April 28th. I'm So Obsessed was created by our executive producer, Daniel Ramirez. Our editor and lead producer is Sophia Fox Sowell, and this episode was produced by Rebecca Fleener. Please take a moment and subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. Follow the show on Twitter at I'm So Obsessed Pod, and until next time, take care. Thank you.